Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, November 15th, 2020. We're going to jump right into scripture. Ecclesiastes 3, 11. We're going to go quickly on some of our scripture and we're going to need you to keep up with us today. So we're yeah. going to go straight to it. If you're there, right. praise God. You could stay there. But if not, we're going and we're going to keep moving because the Lord has something important for each of us today. And we need to c- capture what it is. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I don't know if you heard the prophecies today. I don't know if you felt the Spirit of God moving in the worship service like I did. But what you heard today was the idea that the God who is called the end from the beginning is setting something here in our midst today. The Lord has indeed made everything beautiful in its time. The Lord has created something beautiful here at LCM. I got two people. I got Ella Treister, mighty woman of God, and I got Justin that said amen to that. So I'm going to say it again because whether you understand it or not, the Lord has created something beautiful here at LCM. In this time that we're in, the Lord has begun stirring and moving. That's exactly the words of prophecy this morning. He's been stirring and moving our hearts to get a full view, a complete perspective of what he is fighting for and therefore what we must fight for. The certainty is, is that we will accomplish. Think about the words of prophecy today and over the last few weeks that God is going to give victory. He is going to accomplish the will that he has set forth. He's going to do that in our disciples. He's going to do that in our marriages here in this place. He's going to do that in our parenting. He's going to do it in our holiness. And he's surely going to reach the nations because that is his heart. Amen. Isn't it good whenever God gives you a goal? Right? He's the one that knows the beginning from the end. And when he shares a little bit of this insight, it revives your soul. It gives you clarity and perspective and strength to go on. Well, this morning, God has given us a clear perspective of how we gain strength to go on. It's clear. It's unmixed. It is specifically for you, church. We want to see what God is aiming us at. Pastor just got through mentioning discipleship, marriages, parenting, holiness. This is why we are constantly at war. We're working through each one of these areas to get to a certain goal. This is why we are expected to gain clarity on our mission. I mean, the LCM mission. The mission of one life, one family, one nation at a time. The very placards you see on this wall that define our life and have been birthed from the experiences of God progressing us towards the goal. Amen. This is why we must battle in all of these areas of discipleship, marriage, parenting, holiness, because there's something at stake. What really is the end goal of discipleship, marriage, parenting, holiness is having the preparedness and readiness to reach the nations. We know that this is what God has given us as the end goal of sending from this house those that will go and impact the nation, that will glean a harvest from those nations, and also station here pillars that will support those efforts and bring in the nations in here as well. The goal of your pastors this morning is to fan and to flame a renewed and revived passion for what moves God's heart. And that God's heart is to have the nations. And if it's His heart is to have the nations, that should be our heart as well. 
So we want to start this sermon right. We want to fan into flame that renewed and revived passion for the nations. So will you pray with me? Oh, I don't mean a genuflex kind of prayer. I mean stand to your feet and light the flame of God inside of you. Lord God, we call upon heaven and earth to bear witness today. Lord, that we are asking for your heart. We are asking for your flame to burn within us for the nations. Lord, that you would stir the people in this room to grow in every area because the nations depend on them. The nations are calling for them. And Lord, we can send from this house our sons and daughters to reach the harvest of your heart and that being the very nations in the name of jesus amen as you're having a seat turn with us to genesis chapter 49 and as you're doing that we want to give you the title of today's message the title of the message is can you see it can you see it genesis chapter 49 and verse 10 it says this the scepter will not depart from judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Yes. Church, we want to get you right off from the beginning here to understand something. That from the very beginning of this story, we see a very unique promise and it starts out with one man. It starts out with a single life in Abraham. That life has then moved towards his family as it's passed through Isaac and Jacob. And here we see Judah, a descendant. That that impact was to reach a nation called Israel. Somebody say Israel. Israel. This is the very verse that we begin here with as Israel, the man, is speaking to his son. That the scepter will not depart from this line. The scepter, the sign of rulership. The sign of authority. The sign of dominion over all. It was prophesied to never leave this group. Yeah. Come on, you want to talk about giving a word to somebody. You want to talk about giving a scripture to somebody. How about you look at your own son and you prophesy something like this that's been ordained from the heavens. The truth is, is by the end of today, you'll understand how to do this with your own family. Amen. You're going to see that this is an unending and an unchanging plan that God has. This dominion is to remain until Shiloh. Until Shiloh comes is the way some translations say it. Until, until the one unto whom it belongs shall come. Until the Messiah himself shall come. All this, and when he does, what is the sign that the Messiah is going to be here? That the sign, the Messiah's kingdom, Messiah's dominion, Messiah's authority is moving in a place. It's going to be that the nations, the obedience of the nations yeah. are going to be his. Not just the nations. Not just the fact that they exist. Not even a small, small, minuscule remnant. But we're talking about the obedience of the nations that are going to be his. Somebody say all nations. All nations. Yeah, see, he has a heart for this. Even more than just reaching the single nation of Israel. This was about reaching all the nations of the earth. He was doing it through his precious one. His chosen one through Israel. Do you see it, church? Can you see it with me today? That the path to reaching all of the nations on this planet goes through one nation. And it's not America. (laughs) Amen. The whole goal of the gospel centers around one nation that all the nations may be reached. That one nation of Israel that all the nations of the world may be reached. Can you see it today? Yeah. Church, can you see in this passage what is made plain in Jesus that in His name, Every knee will bow. 
every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That is what obedience of the nations look like. Well, turn with me to Isaiah 11, and let's look at verse 10 to take it further. Say, can you see it when you get there? In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. Now, follow me very closely as we go through this list. Of his people from Assyria, from lower Egypt, from upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. Let's start with the understanding what verse 10 begins us in. The root of Jesse. Come on, this is speaking to the promise that is given to a Davidic king. One that descended from the patriarchs. That from the patriarchs and out of Judah, this scepter would rise. And it would never depart from Judah. It would stay within this tribal family that then would reach a nation and return back to a specific family and landing on a specific man. This man, David, that he will stand as a banner For the peoples. A banner that heralds the name and the work of God. And his heart and desire for the nations. This is a supernatural sign. That the nations will rally to him. It's a certainty. It will and it must happen. I want you to think about the banners lifted at the encampment of Israelites in the wilderness. This was declaring the supernatural sign by which God ordained their tribal function to be displayed. It was their family banner. And it was a call for the nations that will rally to him. Verse 11 says, uh, Lord, you will reach out your hand. The Lord will reach out his hand again. A second time. Reclaiming a surviving remnant of his people from Assyria. Captors. From Egypt. Captors. From Cush, an ancient enemy of God. From Elam, Persia. From Babylonia, again, captors. There is a declaration of a territory by which God is going to reach out his hand and a second time reclaim his own people. And by doing so, lift high a banner of his name that's displayed through his people that declares a message to the nations. But I want to ask you a question. Why does he want to reclaim a surviving remnant? It goes on further in verse 12. Before we read verse 12 together, I just want to tell you how this hit me yesterday as I was studying. If only we could understand what Assyria is. What you're seeing is described in words the entire geographic region around surrounding Israel. Those that were always enemies of God and God's people. Those were the ones surrounding him from every side, from every corner, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. This is defining those who are enemies of God, but that God's heart is to reach in and take a remnant of his people out. And he'll do it again if he needs to. He'll do it again until he can raise a banner for all the peoples. For all of the nations saying, no, I can get you out of that nation. I can bring you forth from there. It doesn't matter that your people were captors. He's going for the obedience of the nations even here. Let's look at verse 12 and hear how it says it. He will raise a banner for the nations. 
and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. From the four, we would say it from the four corners of the earth. See, this messianic king, he's going to raise a banner for the nations. Church, can you get it today? Are you starting to see it? How do you think he's going to raise a banner for the nations? How do you think he's going to do that? Do you think he's going to make a giant flag and wave it? Or is he going to begin with the people that he's calling and raise them up and use them to be the banner for the nations? For all of them, it matters to him. But how is he going to do it? How does the Messiah achieve this? He does it by starting with his group, by gathering the exiles. He says that the goal is to raise a banner for the nations. The very first line. The rest of the verse is the beginning of how he begins to do that. He's going to bring back the exiles of Israel. He's going to assemble the scattered people of Judah. And he'll go to the ends of the earth to do it. Talk about a banner. Talk about something that God is raising up, that He's building up. See, speaking about the Messiah is never separated from His vision for the nations through the singular nation that He has chosen. If you're going to actually talk about Messiah, you have to understand that the goal is always the nations. Because He deserves. He deserves the nations. He deserves what He has created. And He will accomplish what His Word says. Church, can you see it today? Can you see this banner that the Lord is trying to wave and what the purpose of this is? We're trying to lift you up today. We're trying to elevate you. Man, we have had some incredible services lately. God's talking about dialing in our hearts, talking about understanding the mission of this church and what each and every one of you need to start understanding. But if you don't understand this, then your mission and your vision and your side of it means nothing. It's lost. It becomes myopic. It becomes what most of the world around us has done. And said, this is about me. What can I achieve? What is God going to do in me? What he needs to do in you is raise you up like a banner. Amen. That the nations may see it. This has to be what we're talking about. Can you see it today, church? We want to lift you up so that you can see this much, much, much larger picture. And how you fit in it. And how you need to engage with it. Can you see it today? Do you hear the pastor's heart? We want you to have further clarity. We want you to have higher resolution. I mean, we're going way past 4K on this. We're gaining a clarity of the call of God, not in generality, but what God has done in this church. The seed that he has sown in our hearts since 2002 and really before then. Prophecies that came about in 1993 that we have seen fulfilled here in this church, reaching the mountains of Peru. God has been at work in investing in reaching the nations through this church for decades. And I guess as time goes by, we will see that he's been working even longer before we ever knew it. To gain further in clarification and resolution, turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 7. Can you see it? Verse 7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. Say decree. Decree. He said to me, you are my son. Say son. Son. Today I become your father. Ask me. Say ask. Ask. 
ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Oh, when I read this verse about two and a half weeks ago, it came alive to me in a way that it never has before. We have had foundations meetings where this verse came up. In fact, in 2012, there is a testimony that Nick Arashina has of a woman sharing this verse with him. He brought it as a word to foundations that encouraged us of how to move forward with having a heart for the nations. We listened to it yesterday. And it came alive inside of me more than it ever has before. I remember that moment. I remember hearing of that moment. But two and a half weeks ago, I began to see a connection in this scripture that's speaking to me. It's speaking to you. It begins with verse 7. That there is a decree that the Father has made. What is a decree? It's something that is instituted as law. Once it is spoken, it is going to be and there is a certainty that it's going to happen. It's prescribed. It's allotted. It's a portion and what is due once declared. Well, what exactly is the decree? It starts out with, you are my son. The decree and the declarations of God and how to reach the nations starts with the spirit of sonship. Why do you think he said, wait in Jerusalem until you have received the deposit and the power from on high? What was that spirit? It was the spirit of sonship that would go and inherit the nations. What confidence can you find to overcome that overwhelming demonic fear that tries tries to squash the call of God on your life? You overcome it with the spirit of sonship inside of you. One that is bold and will declare that same decree to the nations themselves. What we have before us is our father speaking to us, Carlos, the father of glory, declaring to us who we are and what we're called to. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this revelation that was originally spoken to David, that root of Jesse, that through him, because in In very clear terms, when this decree is being made, it's being made to his one and only son. But we get to join in it with him. We get to join Israel with them. That together as one, we will be that inheritance to the king of kings. And we will also ask the king of kings for our inheritance from the nations. That brings us to verse 8. You see, the the linear progression is that you have a decree. A decree that starts with sonship that gives you the confidence to ask. Ask your father. And ask specifically for what? You're asking for him to make the nations your inheritance. You're asking for him to give you the ends of the earth as your possession. Lord, as your sons, we want it all. We want the fullest decree fulfilled in our lives. See, that relationship that we have with the Father through the Son that makes us sons, we can boldly approach the throne of grace to ask Him for our inheritance. This word for ask is more than just a mild request. It's more than just, I don't know, 
a pleading. It is a desperation. It's a demand. A demand that's based on the covenant relationship that he has with his father. I know this is yours, father. And I want it. Come on, as fathers, as leaders, and as pastors, you know what makes us excited and elated knowing that our sons have reached a place of maturity? is within the context of our covenant, our sons come to us and say, I know what you possess, but I want what you have. I see the mezuzah inside of you, and I want to be exactly what you are. I want to possess what you possess. Show me, how do you preach like that? Show me, how do you build a church like that? I am called to do the exact same thing. I need what you have. When we're asking for the nations as our inheritance, our Father is delighted to give it to us. But it requires something from us. It's not just an asking and waiting to receive an Amazon package on our front doorstep. It's an asking... That cost us something. See we're asking for the nations as our inheritance. We're asking to be consumed by this thought. Consumed to the point where we know it extends well beyond ourselves and our generations. In addition to be consumed. We're asking that it is a lifetime and life giving commitment. A commitment for the rest of our breath and days to have him make the nations our inheritance. Oh man, this is not a summer day camp that we go to. The Lord, just give me some really good missions time. This is a lifelong call that will cost you your life. Verse 9, which we didn't read, extends further into this. That when you are asking for the nations to be in your inheritance and you're giving up the cost of your life and committing to this inheritance, there then is a reward. Verse 9 says, you will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. See here, the scepter is once again described in the hand of the Messiah, the lion of the tribe of Judah and those who are identified as his people. He is ruling them with an iron scepter and dashing the disobedience to pieces like pottery. He is demanding the obedience of the nations and he will receive it. Can you see it? Can you see it here in scripture? The relationship of the son and the father. It, it is established on the decree that causes us to boldly and confidently ask the father for the nations of the world as our inheritance. Because of his one nation Israel, it is through them that we get to participate in this covenant relationship that gives us the confidence to ask. Come on, let's all turn to Daniel chapter 7. Let's go up even higher and seeing what the Lord is doing here. I promise you that this is going to relate perfectly to your life. We're laying some groundwork. Pastor, we've heard you preach these things. Yeah, but not like you've heard it today. Not like you're going to get it today. Not yeah. like you're going to see it today. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 says this. In my vision mm -hmm. at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven. You want to talk about elevating your perspective. Seeing a vision of the one like a son of man. Coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. 
Now take, take note of this picture here that Daniel 7 is painting for you. We have two characters. We have the Father, the Ancient of Days, and the Son, the Messiah, who is now coming on the clouds and now coming into the presence of the Father. The Messiah, Jesus, approaches the Father and is led into His presence. Well, of course He is. He's one with the Father. But listen to what happens next. Why is there an entryway into the presence of the Father? Listen to what happens in verse 14. He was given authority. Somebody say authority. Authority. Glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There in the presence of God was authority was given. Yeah. Glory was given. Sovereign power was given. And what was the result of this power that the Messiah is possessing? All nations, all peoples, we're trying to tie it together. Can you see what we're saying, church? When we're talking about the authority that's been given to him, it's always, it always demonstrates, almost in the next word, it always is demonstrating a heart for the nations. It's demonstrating that there's something that's going on with this authority, this dominion. It says in verse 14 that all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. The word there for worship is not so much a word for worship. When you look at the original language, it's much more than singing. This kind of word for worship is actually talking about one who serves submissively and offers worship through their life being laid down as before a king or a monarch. Yeah. They worshipped him. Yes. Praise God that they were worshipping him. But what we're talking about is people who lay down their life in service of this great king, of this great dominion, of this great authority and sovereign power that he had. Praise God that we can sing beautiful love songs to him. Praise God that we can feel his anointing and we can feel goosebumps when the music starts to play. But the point of this kind of worship is that your life is laid down to the one who you actually believe and you actually recognize as the sovereign. As the one with all authority. As the one that's been given all glory. Can you see it, church? Can you see him rising in this place? With scepter in hand. With sonship. Giving us confidence to ask. And to boldly ask. And to confidently enter in. With all the authority that he has. The nations are ultimately under his dominion. The Messiah. That Messiah that has become our Christ and Lord. Is the one that we're looking at today. Can you see it, church? Can you see the point of the authority, the point of the closeness, the point of the sonship is that the nations may be received as his inheritance and as ours. Oh, turn to Revelation chapter two with me. Say, can you see it when you get there? As you're still turning, I want you to really digest what pastor just shared with you. That what he just walked through in Daniel is an example of what the goal of Christ would be. To have authority over the nations. Oh man, what is it like? What is it like when you're no longer a slave to sin? But you are made into a son and you come underneath the authority of Jesus. And just his name alone makes demons shudder. It makes them tremble. All the authority in that name is greater than any other name. 
and the scepter that is in his hand is promised to be in ours when we complete our race in our sonship. Revelation 2.26, he's speaking to the church at Thyatira. And at the end, he's making a promise to the one who is victorious. Say victorious. Victorious. And does my will halfway. How much? To the end. Till the end. I will give authority over the nations. The one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Well, that sounds familiar. We read that out of Psalm 2 earlier. Just as I receive authority from my father. The promise to this church and the promise, the church of Thyatira and the promise to this church, LCM. Is that if we are victorious and do his will to the end, there is a certainty that his authority will be given to us to rule with him over the nations. The same thing that is echoed in Daniel 7, it is directly quoted in here from Psalm 2, declares to us that authority that we are to receive. But let me read to you in reference something that's very familiar. It's the Great Commission out of Matthew 28. And how does it begin? That Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Come on, therefore, go. It's based on the authority of the sonship of completing the work of his father. That what gives you the boldness to step out and move to another country. What gives you the boldness to hear within this church, step out and begin to share the gospel with somebody that hates you. It is that confidence that's found in the covenant with the son. And because he possesses all authority, so do you. That he gave you the great commission, gave me the great commission that extends out from that covenant of sonship and that you possess the authority of heaven just like he did. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of how many nations? All. All nations. Do you see the heart of God for the nations in this? That his goal is therefore our goal to take this authority based on the sonship and extend it to the nations. Can you see it, church? More importantly, can you see it for you? I'm not talking about just a certain sector of people within our church. Not a certain personality, not a certain set of giftings. I mean for every human being that is sitting in this room right now. Can you see it? That this is for you. It's your call. What you're to be committed to. We're going to rise up to it. Church, the idea that everywhere you see the authority of the Christ. That almost the next words out of his mouth are for the nations. Yes. That should move you in a different way. May the Lord give me more of his spirit. Yes, but why? May, I want to walk in more authority and more confidence. Yes, but why? Mm -hmm. Because every time he speaks about it, every time he thinks about it, every time he tells you he's in, he's in control, it's the next words out of the Messiah's mouth for you to understand that it's not just for you to stay right where you are and be a bless me club. Keep giving me more. Keep giving me more insight. Keep giving me more words. There's something about the nations that we have to tap into. And the truth is, is that's why he starts pouring it in you. That's why he starts helping you more is because you understand what we're saying to you today. Yeah. Turn with me quickly to 1 Peter 1.
I feel an urgency in my spirit for this body today. Yeah. We are 32 minutes in. I'm going to ask that all of us be grown-ups in here. We don't need bathroom breaks. You don't need a coffee stop. Come on. I've got, the Lord has something that he is building in you today. And if you can't see it yet, we're going to help you to see it. We were praying yesterday. And God spoke it to my heart. He said, I'm going to help them to see it today. Amen. I heard it. I heard it down in my soul. I know what he's doing for you today. You may not know it yet, but you're going to have to trust us. And you're going to have to stick with us. And we're not going to let any distractions get in our way today. Are you with me? First Peter chapter one and verse 17 says this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's works impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverential fear. Come on. Who's the foreigner? All of us. We are the foreigner. Since you have a father who's going to look at each person and judge you rightly according to what you've done. He's saying you better live like you're a foreigner. Live like you don't belong here. Live like you're from somewhere else. We already feel that when we go back to our families, don't we? If you embrace this way of life, you're already starting to feel that. Where you're like, man, I feel like a foreigner in the places that I used to feel very comfortable. Good. You're starting to get it, but that's not the fullness of it yet. For you know that it was not with the perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your fathers. Man. Every time I go back to the place of my birth, I can't call it home anymore. I'm reminded of the empty way of life that I got handed down to me. See, that's not what you were bought with. You were redeemed, not with perishable things, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect or blemish. You were purchased with the blood of the Messiah himself. The one who has been given all authority. The one who stands with the scepter in hand that will not depart from him. That's what you were redeemed with. You were redeemed with his very life. He was chosen before the creation of the world. But was revealed in these last times for your sake. His His being chosen was done before time began. Before you knew there was a plan, this plan was already what he intended for it to do. But there was a revelation. There was something that was not seen that became seen. It was revealed for your sake. The revelation that we're trying to get to here today is that it's for your sake. Because you've got to understand why he did what he did. You have to begin to live more and more and more every day like a foreigner here. Yeah. This world is not my home. We can say it, but we have to start living like it more. And as we go further, you'll understand exactly how to do that. Church, does it resonate with you what pastor is saying about being a foreigner? Even while you're living in Texas? Right? Well, for about a third of you, that's really true. You're, You're born in another country. But when respect to the kingdom... In love with Jesus. The priorities of your life are completely foreign to everyone else that's around you. And what his priorities in their life is foreign to you. That when we have set our sights on 
God's call for our lives. We begin to gain clarity of what his kingdom is calling us upward to. And it makes us a foreigner to everyone around us. Early in my walk, I was introduced to a number of books about missions. And this began to pave the way and lay the foundation for God to speak to us about doing work abroad. One of the first ones was Eternity in Their Hearts, written by Don Richardson. Transformational book. Phenomenal. I encourage everyone to read it. Most of you who have been through our uh, ministry training class have read it. He wrote another book. Another book that impacted me the way I did not expect. It's called Lords of the Earth. We have a slide that shows you the title of the book. Or at least we did. Lords of the Earth was written by Don Richardson, but it's about a guy named Stanley Albert Dale. He was on this island known as Irian Jawa. Known as Papua, Indonesia today. It was here that he began to forge a work for the Lord. Work only lasted six years. Started in 1961. And let me read an excerpt from the book and some commentated about what he did. This is near the end, obviously, of his ministry there. One by one, the arrows struck his flesh. And one by one, Stanley Aberdale pulled them out and broke the cane shafts over his knee. The blood flowed from his many wounds and onto the riverbank. The screaming Yali warriors feared that the white man or duong was immortal already the yali in another village had tried to kill dale previously they were frightened by his message for his followers had burned their traditional idols and places of spirit worship they had also shot dale that previous time but dale had walked away and was healed completely See, Stanley Albert Dale had come to the mountains of Papua. See, when you get to go visit the Vincents, you're going to see that the Papuans are recognizable anywhere you walk around. Mm -hmm. When you go to their island, you can see, I, I can identify them and I don't live there. I'm like, oh, they must be from Papua. There's a distinction in the way that these people look. See, Stanley Albert Dale had come there in the 1960s to share the message of Jesus Christ. Now facing hundreds of screaming warriors, he pulled out arrows out of his body as fast as they pierced his skin. These Yali had been warned that the spirit inside of this man was very powerful. Finally, Dale and the other missionary fell. More than 60 broken arrows were piled at Dale's feet besides the ones still in his flesh. His wife later says that there were over a hundred of them that pierced his body. The warriors then dismembered his body parts for fear that they would rise again. They thought that would be the end of the gospel message in their valley, but it was not. Somebody say it was not. It was not. See, they couldn't see it, but Stanley Ebert Dale could see it. Although the Yale thought Dale's bo earthly body was immortal, it was actually his soul that would not die. The missionaries who followed in Dale's wake helped the Yali to understand eternity. He was there for six years, not because he quit, 
but because he gave his life for those people. They shared God with the Yali. They came in, and I want to tell you that as, as, as Stanley Everett Dale was walking into the valley the very first time, the Lord allowed him to see something that you could not see with human eyes. Allowed him to hear something, that he could hear the sounds of praises rising to the Lord. It was not something his earthly ears had detected. It was something that a spiritual understanding came in and made him willing to lose his life there in that place. To understand that the king of all kings was worth it and the obedience of the nations belonged to him. Think about what the necessity of our life brings. Dirty diapers. Ringing phones. Cleaning our clothes. See, but what we're supposed to gather from Stanley Albert Dale's story is to prioritize the things that matter for eternity. What part in you, what part in your daily life is walking with an eternal significance? An eternal, an eternal presence. See, if you don't make time for it. Church, can you see it? Can you see it? What we're trying to do is marry and match this big picture that God cares about the nations and what you do on an everyday basis. Somewhere far off in the distance, yes, God cares about the nations. Yes, he does. And he cares about what you're doing because it's his heart. Yeah. I will walk towards eternity with hands held high. Lift up your hands for me today. Man, don't you love that song? Keep your hands up for just a second. What do we think of when we sing this song? I will walk towards eternity just worshiping him at every turn. What if you walking towards eternity is at the end of a barrel of a gun? Yes, we want to worship Him as we walk towards eternity. Yes, we want to be fully surrendered. But what if it's going to cost us something? Unashamed, I will enter in. Not with pain in my eyes. Not with disgust in my eyes. But with love in my eyes. Put your hands down. Can you see it? It matters what you do in your everyday life. It matters that you can see what he's purposing in this place. It matters if you can see it. It matters that when I look at Branch, I don't just see a young man of 12. Are you 12? I don't just see a 12-year-old when I look at him. I see a man who should be reaching the nations for the king that I serve. Amen. And I don't just mean now that he's living with his parents there in Indonesia. I'm saying that this man should be called to the nations to bring back to God what is rightfully his. When I look at Deacon, when I think of Zadok, when I look at AJ, when I look at the three lion cubs of the Steve, the four lion cubs of the Stevens, the three that are sitting there. When I look at Yusef, I'm seeing the nations. I'm seeing the nations that he's called to and what we must do today to make sure that God yes. gets it, gets what he deserves. I want to make sure that I'm asking him the right questions so we can all see it. Can you start to see it today, church? Yes. It matters what you and I are doing now. 
It matters that we do more than just say we understand that God wants eternity, that God has something in mind for the future. It's what we're doing today in our everyday life that matters. Say this with me, church. I need an eternal perspective. Having an eternal perspective will gauge your priorities. It will govern your emotions. It will guide your family to fulfill the call that God has for it. Let's put up this next picture. If it'll work, let's see. (laughs) Amen. So I'm going to describe it to you. There is a picture that we found, Stanley Albertdale. He's there in Papua. He's sitting at a small, rickety little wooden table, and he has a disciple in front of him. It is a local native wearing his traditional native garb, which is not very much at all. Bones through his nose. And he's sitting attentively at Stanley's feet. Stanley has a pen in his hand. You're not really sure what he's writing. He has his daughter next to him. She's probably about two and a half, three years old. She looks just like River. Super blonde hair. Cute as all get out. She's attentively watching her daddy as he's working. When I saw this picture, I wondered, what is he doing? Right? Because I, I know that missionary life is everyday life. It's not the glamorous life all the time. That there are just normal things that you do. In fact, what you do here at home in the U.S. is what you're going to do there. It's just a transplant of what God has cultivated in you here. So I'm looking at this picture. I'm going, so what is he doing? He's got a pen in his hand. Maybe he's making a list of supplies to go get. And his guy in front of him is going to be the the runner to go get it. Maybe he's making a list of uh, some scriptures, a sixth scripture string, perhaps. Or maybe he's writing down a note to follow up later. But I can't help but notice the attentiveness of his disciple. That attentiveness and that disciple that I had in mind wasn't the native sitting in front of him. It was the blonde-headed daughter sitting next to him. See, both are really his disciples. Both are called to extend to the generations what he had started there. But it's equally important to sow into his daughter next to him than it was the disciple in front of him. Both are needed. What you do within the confines of your home and ministry to your home will be the exact same of what you do outside your home. See, I see in this picture an example of a man who is executing ministry at its foundational core. It resonates with what God has done to establish ministry in this house, in my house. That the more effective you are at ministering to your home, the more effective you will be in reaching the nations. I thought there for a minute... It might have been helping this native understand what his Nabal traits were. It probably was true at some point in time. But he's laying the groundwork for all of his disciples of all nations. And the understanding is this. 
is that the story that is in Lords of the Earth is centered around Stanley Aberdale, but you know he did not do it alone. It's only together with a ministry partner that he accomplished it. I'm not sure if we'll be able to put it up. We're having demonic interference on our, our slides. But there's another picture that we found. And it's one of Stanley Aberdale and his ministry partner, whose name is Phil Masters. Phil Masters is greatly unknown, but he was a large source of support for Stanley Aberdale. He did the majority of the translating from English into the tribal language. And the picture displays both of them standing on the mountaintop overlooking the valley that they would minister to and join in. Stanley Aberdell is pointing his finger. Phil is standing next to him looking in that direction. And it was only through both of these men of God that the will of God would be done to reach the nations. You see, Phil Masters was with Dale from the first moment that he landed on that island. And he was with Stanley Aberdell the last moment on that island. See, Stanley Aberdale had 60 arrows pulled out of his body and laying his feet much more in his own body. But you know who was right there with him with arrows piercing his very heart? Phil Masters. He joined him in the cost of asking for the nations. To my death, I'll join you. See, both men accomplished their mission, but it had to be accomplished together. Say together. Together. And we stand here now watching how their legacy lives on and generation after generation have picked up the work and furthered it to perfection. Let's turn to Hebrews 11 together so that you can see this come together. Hebrews 11 and verse 39. Come on, it's kind of interesting today that we've based our sermon, our homiletic on the idea of can you see it? And we can't see it on our screens. Because the whole point is God said he was going to show it to you. Yeah. And if you think you need a projector to see it, you're missing it. You don't understand what we're talking about. Hebrews 11 and verse 39 says this. These were all commended for their faith. My God, don't you want to be commended for your faith? Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us. Said so that only together... With us, would they be made perfect? Yeah. How can you look at these men that go through the faith hall of fame in Hebrews 11 and say that they weren't yet perfected? You know what they needed? They needed us. Yeah. What? They gave their life for it. Isn't that enough? No, they need us. Do you know why? Because they still need us. Do you know why? Can you see it yet? Because the obedience of the nations belongs to our great king. And we must be the ones who give our life, who give of our resources, who give our children, who give our grandchildren to be able to accomplish this. I am so thankful for men like Stanley Albert Dale and, and Phil Masters. The countless other men and women of God who serve faithfully. But Stanley Albert Dale is not completed yet. Yeah. Only together with us may he get his full reward. Amen. You cannot leave it to the few 
mighty, anointed men and women of God somewhere on a different time in a different place with a different heart than you? What is your part in what God is doing on the earth? Can you see it yet? Can you see it yet? It's only together with us. It's only together is our obedience is directed toward the nations. Not just one life. Not just one family. But also to the nations. This is not an either or. This is a all of the above. This is a both and. Can you see it? The bigger picture that God desires to do through you. Through your generations. We found a a YouTube video, and here's a part of the text of it. We're obviously not going to show it to you. On May 21st, 1961, Stan, Dale, and Bruno DeLewo made first contact with the Yale tribe in what is now Papua, Indonesia. In the week of May 16, 2011. 61. Now we're talking about 2011. The Yali held a year of Jubilee celebration. They celebrated 50 years since the coming of the gospel to their tribe. They celebrated 50 years of its transformational impact. They were singing. They were dancing. They were weeping as they held an actual translation in their own tribal language. I think that Stanley Albert Dale in that picture with his daughter right beside him. I think he was translating the gospel for them right there. Yeah, he was. I think you gotta, I think there was a snapshot in time of him actually translating the gospel into their language. He gave his life, yes. But look at the impact 50 years later that his willingness to lay down his life, that act of obedience that said the nations and their obedience is worth it to my king. 50 years later, hundreds And thousands of people are dancing around, singing praises to God. Can you see it, church? I'm not sure that that very first day that he walked into that valley, onto that mountainside, that God didn't allow him to hear what took place at the Jubilee celebration. See, you got to be able to see more than with your natural eyes. Yeah. You got to be able to hear more. You got to be able to understand more than what's going on in your day to day to day kind of life. You got to understand that there's something more. They're rejoicing over the news of the gospel being brought to this part of the valley, to this part of the world. (laughs) Some of the Papuans are some of the sweetest and most godly people that I met in Indonesia. Yeah. It can be attributed to single teams of people it can be seen and traced back to the beginning because god is just that good what can you walking in this kind of understanding in your life today what will it do what will it do if you're not the focus of everything that you're thinking what will it do if you're not the focus of everything that you're praying but rather you're saying lord my life is important because it needs to get to my family my family's important only as it needs to get to the nations lord that there's something more than what we're doing. We, we hope to show you something, but if not, we'll talk our way through it too. I want to remind you guys, what we covered so far is a revelation and vision that God gave 
Jacob about his son Judah. He gave Isaiah about the coming king. He gave Daniel about the fulfillment of the one who have authority over the nations. He gave David to write in Psalm 2 about the connection of a sonship in asking. He gave Stanley Aberdale a same vision of what would be when he first arrived. Well, Elsiam is not absent of vision. God's given us a vision. He's given us a territory, an allotment that we're to go after. I want to revive a passion and fire for that allotment. Many of you are familiar with the picture of the region of a swan. There we go. Can you see it? Can you see it, church? Perfect timing. Thank you, Sound Booth. This comes from a multifaceted confirmation that God has spoken to members in this church. Put it before us, and particularly before four families, that this is where they are called to go. They asked of the Lord for the nations as their inheritance, and this is what God gave this church. I want to make this clear. It's what God gave this church. Not just for families. This is what he laid out, what he has mapped out as our allotted inheritance. We asked, and this is what God gave. And it's the best portion of the world. Our goal at LCM, our motto is that we don't raise children, we raise adults. We raise adults that are being aimed like arrows to emulate Stanley Aberdale and Phil Masters. Not to become celebrities of their own right. Athletes, definitely not. But let me tell you the more subtle aspect that opposes what we're trying to do here. It is the normative American life. The pursuit of life, liberty, and whatever you define as happiness. Comfort, ease, entitlement to what your life should look like based on our culture rather than what it should look like based on the word. We're seeking to raise up our generations that have a heart for these nations. Church, when we look at this, I'm reminded that you are called, we are called, to join in with the Vincents in their call to plant seven churches in Indonesia. Seven springs of living water that will feed that nation. But it takes a commitment on their part and our part as well. And when you're called to do this, you're also committed to raising up disciples in Indonesia that will go do the exact same thing you're doing in the region of Aswan. And when you're called to lay foundations of the faith in Peru, hear me, buddy Brasso. You're also committed to raising up disciples that will go do the exact same thing in the region of Aswan. You're called to go to Mexico or any other nation that's outside what you see here in yellow. You are still just as committed at raising up disciples that will do exactly what you do in that nation in the nation of Aswan. I don't know if you're seeing it yet. If God puts you here, it's for you to have an understanding that this is where our vision is heading, that yeah. this is the nations that he's assigned to us. We take it, we've taken this picture and we've superimposed a modern day map on it. Next picture. 
It's a little difficult to see on the screen, but we wanna, I want to go to the next slide that will help you and help you to understand the modern countries that are listed in yellow. Can you guys see that? There's 26 countries that are somehow included in that region of Aswan. 26. Look at that. Romania, Bulgaria, Greece, the island of Cyprus, Turkey, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Libya, Iraq, Kuwait, Iran, the UAE, Kazakhstan. I'm going to try to say them all. Get it. Aren't you glad I have the mic and not you? Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Yeah. The nations that are listed here are, t- are all the ones in yellow. There's some portion of every one of these nations that's listed in yellow. That gives us a great swatch of land. By the way, that's about one-seventh of the world's countries. <laughs> How about that? Can you see it? One-seventh of the countries on this planet. And God said, I want this group of people. I want LCM. I want yeah. you to be a part of yes. this. You get to be and have the choicest of all the places because the gospel that started in Israel and radiated out into the world is going to have to come back to there. And I want you guys to be right there at the Amen. heart. I want you to be right at the center of it. But pastor, what if I'm called to Mexico? Yes, amen. Praise God, Cody Stevens. I am glad that you're going to be in Mexico. And you know what you're doing in Mexico? You're raising up people to go to one of these 26 countries. Amen. That's a lot of land. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of place. That's a lot of work for us to do. It can't just be that we call three families, four families, the Aswan team. Go ahead, boys. Take all 26 countries. <laughs> Get it. While we sit here and pray diligently for you. Come on. I understand what we're doing because we started off calling them the turkey team because of the alliteration. Then we actually said, they may not just end up in Turkey. They are actually called to more than that. Let's go ahead and call them what the Lord gave us, which is the Aswan team. I'm going to have to change your name again because this must be the Aswan team. Amen. If you're here, you're the Aswan team. Come on. That's going to start shifting how we, if you can really see this with us today, we want you to see if you can really get this today, that Miranda didn't come here by accident. That she came here, that Nia came here because God ordained it. You know why? Because he selected them to be a part of the Aswan team. Amen. He called you to be here. I'm looking at Tom and Martha. I'm looking at Paul and Lynette. Oh, we're XYZ age. Yeah, you're part of the Aswan team now. Congratulations. I'm looking at Randy Smith, and I know that she's a part of the Aswan team. See, we've got to shift this, church. Yeah. If you and I are part of the Aswan team, how are you going to start living? Doesn't that make you already want to engage with the gospel just a little bit more than you thought you could? 
Be a little bit more serious than you were yesterday. Be a little bit more serious than you were at the beginning of service today. Why? Because it matters. Because our great king says he will have the obedience of the nations. Can you see it yet? It's not just them that have to go. It's us. It's us that have to be doing our part in what God is saying. Amen. They cannot do it on their own. Three families in the Turkey area. One family in Israel. We need a hundred families there. Not a hundred people. A hundred families. How are we going to do that? We're going to send our sons. We're going to ask God, what is our assignment, Lord? I will do it with such fervor. But my heart, my vision, my eyes are on this place in the world. It's on the region of Aswan. Because if I don't go, if the Lord has assigned me here, by the way, like me personally, I am assigned here. But you know what I've been praying for weeks on end? God, I've got to have a burning heart for the Aswan region. God, I can't let it be just the ones that are going. God, I, I have to have a burning heart for this region. Because if I don't have a heart that burns, how will the people have a heart that burns? Church, I'm calling you to what God has been doing in us. You have to have a burning heart. Not an understanding. Not a familial attachment. You've got to have a heart that says, God, the obedience of the nations, they're yours. Yes. Amen. There may be 195 so-called nations on the earth today. But even more specifically, and I'm so happy if some of you are called into Mexico. But this is what the heart of our church has to be. Yeah. Carlos, if you go back to Colombia, your heart has to be for this. Yeah. To send it back to Israel. If you're called to plant a church here in the United States to be one of the, the springs that feeds the, the palm trees, your heart is still this. It's still got to burn for this. You still have to be sending people there. This is for every man and woman in the church. I hope you can see it. I hope you're starting to see what we're saying. You've known this information before, but God says, I'm going to show it to him today. Yeah. I'm going to let them feel it today. I'm going to show them what their part in this is today. Turn with us to Deuteronomy 34. As you're turning, church, do you hear the call to fix your gaze on these nations? These 26 nations that are listed. In fixing our gaze on this nation, these nations, It requires a supernatural point of view. We didn't read a book, take out a map, and say, we really want to go visit this area. The region of Aswan was revealed from heaven. We needed an elevated view of what God has called us to do. In Deuteronomy... 34, starting in verse 1, gives us a very clear example of this is how it occurs for men of God. Then Moses climbed, say climbed, climbed, Mount Nebo, from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land. Say whole land. Whole land. 
from Gilead to Dan. All of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea. All this being shown to him from Mount Nebo. Verse 3 says, The Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. Let me ask you a question. Was Moses called? Yes. Yes. Yes, he was called. He was called to lead God's people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Was Moses committed to that call? Yes. He spent the last 40 years leading this nation through the desert and waiting for the next generation to grow up and be ready to inherit the land. But he still, at the end of his life, he still had to make a supernatural climb in order to receive clarity of the call that was moving well beyond him through the generations. It was a supernatural perspective. You see, Mount Nebo, it's 150 feet lower than the elevation of Jerusalem. So if you're standing on Mount Nebo and you're going to see the Mediterranean Sea, you have to look over Jerusalem. And it's 150 feet above the elevation that you're currently standing on. It's impossible to see the Mediterranean Sea from Nebo. How did he see it? How did the Lord show it to him? He showed it to him because when Moses was standing in God's presence, it gave him an elevated view of what God had called him to. What do you need this morning? You need an elevated view of what God has called this church and thereby called you to. To join us in taking the whole land of what God has promised. We can't do it without you. This put Moses in a supernaturally elevated position to see what he and his descendants were called to. That's what we see when we look at the map of a swan. So therefore, you must climb to an elevated position and have the Lord show you the land that he's shown this church. So first is you see the call. Then you must commit to that call. Not just a half-hearted commitment, but this is what God has destined for us. And I'm committed unto my death to see it done. Because my generations are extinct. After the commitment comes the climb. We have a call. We have a commitment. And lastly, we have a climb. That from time to time, we need to climb higher in elevation in God's presence. We need that refreshing, that revival of the revelation that he originally spoke. I was talking with Nick, and I mentioned earlier about that recording from 2012. It was you know, logged away somewhere in the recesses of my mind. But God brought it back to the surface at the perfect time. This is what he's speaking to us and to our church. So when I want to ask you, church, can you see it? Can you see what your responsibility is? Can you see what your call is? Can you see the whole reason why God worked through so many avenues to get you in this place and inherit this way of life? Because he's calling you to join us again, asking him to inherit the nations. Can you see why it's so, there are so many things that try to keep your attention away from this place? Yeah. So many arrows being launched. Yes, it's trying to keep you from seeing it rightly. Look at verse 4 in Deuteronomy 34. 
Then the Lord said to him, this is the land. Say that with me. This This is the the land. land. I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants, I have let you see it with your eyes. See, Moses didn't get to cross over into it. Deuteronomy 32 says and gives the exact reason, and it tells you that part. But what I want to hear and I want you to see today is this. Church, we have to have the understanding that when God calls us to something, it's going to demand that our descendants fully complete it. God, what a shift. What a shift. Now we're no longer talking about two years, five years, ten years. You're thinking in terms of generations and decades. That's why it's okay for you to be right on this end and get your foundation right here on this end. Can you see what I'm talking about, church? Because if you get this right, it's supposed to last through the generations. It's supposed to give our great king everything that he deserves. Your call is greater than you. Quit thinking it's about you. Come on. Quit thinking it's about what you're going to accomplish. As if that were the entirety of this. Most of Christianity is geared this way and we're trying to remind you. We're trying to call you back to the original standard and say that is not how the kingdom is advanced. Just you. Just what you can accomplish. I don't care how great you are. It's not enough. I don't care how anointed you are. It's not enough. Can you see it yet? It's going to take your kids. It's going to take your grandkids. I'm willing to lay down my life. Yes, are you willing to lay down your children's lives? Come on. Are you willing to lay down the lives of your descendants to get this done? Are you or not? Don't answer now. Don't make yourself guilty here in this place. I'm asking you, can you see it? That that is the resolve that we have to have. We say to you today, ask. Ask your Father in heaven to give you the nations, and especially the nations of a swan, as an inheritance. For you, for your disciples, for your generations and their inheritance. We we say to you, ask today. Ask the Lord to show you the dimensions of His call for you and your family, underneath your family banner, and what it must be to reach the generations, to reach the nations, so that the great King may get exactly what He deserves. So that He may get the obedience of the nations. Yes, it's about the one life being obedient. Yes, it's about building the family. But the whole purpose... It can't be complete unless you understand the nations that are involved in this. Yes. And the nation that you are assigned. Can you see it with this church? Yeah. Can you see it today? Turn with us to Ephesians chapter 3 as we get ready to close. Ephesians 3. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. Do you hear the dimensions being stated? What is the heart of your pastors this morning? It's the same heart that Paul is writing here to the Ephesians. We want you to grasp the full dimensions of what God has in store for you in this church. Because we want you to have the confidence to ask. And that 
confidence to ask. You find something that is your fuel of why you want to ask for the nations as your inheritance. I want them to have what we possess. I want the nations in the region of Aswan to have a church that looks just like this and if not better. Are we a rarity church? You cannot find a church like LCM anywhere close by. There may be some that are hidden. But God brought you here because we are a jewel that God has established. We are a refuge. We are a place where people find who they are and are prepared to go do it. We're wearing one association churches. It's the normative part of our daily wardrobe. Because it defines who we are and who we have collected together to be as part of the one association. But it's not meant just for the U.S. It's meant for the nations of the world and specifically it's meant for the region of a swan. This gives us confidence to hear what Paul has to say further in Ephesians 3. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably... <laughs> easy for me to say. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the kind of scripture that we like because we look at it and he's able to do more. Oh, you can do something more for me. More than I can ask or imagine. Is Psalm 2 not ringing in your ears at this moment? What are you supposed to be asking and imagining for? If not the nations to be yes. your inheritance. That he might gain his appropriate inheritance in us. But the nations are ours and then we're his. And then this works exactly as he says it. He's able to do more than that. He's able to say it's more than Turkey. It's the whole region. Yes. He's saying it's more than what you were thinking about. But you've got to come up here. You've got to see it the way that he's saying it. He is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to his power that's at work in you. This is not a genie who gives you more of what you want because you clearly don't have enough yet. He's saying ask of me the nations. I will give them to you as your inheritance. I will get the obedience that I desire out of them. And I will do this through my power at work in you. Amen. To him be glory in the church. Ephesians 3.21. Would you put it on the screen for me? To him be glory in the church. To Him be glory here in this church, Lord. Amen. And in Christ Jesus. Amen. Why would He put it that way? He says in the church first. Because we're the ones who should understand. We're the ones who should be able to see. We're the ones who are already collected. And we're giving Him our obedience. Therefore, we must go to the nations and get their obedience for Him as well. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus Amen. and throughout the generations. My God, church. When He says, ask of me, He really means it. Yeah. Ask of me. I will make the nations your inheritance. 
Can you see it yet? Can you see it yet, church? Because if you do, you don't leave the nations to four families in this church. Amen. Five with the Vincents here as well. You don't leave it there. You say, I am the Aswan team. LCM is part of this. Can you see it yet, church? The Lord is showing it to us. He's, sh- he's elevating our position today that we might see it. Is the Lord elevating your perspective? Are you feeling the weight of responsibility for this? You hear for so much more than just personal enrichment and betterment of life. You are here to help fulfill a call. You're here to join us in asking our God for the nations. It comes with a cost. Say cost. Cost. What did it cost Jesus to ask for the nations as inheritance? It cost him his life. What did it cost Stanley Albert Dale and his partner, Phil Masters? It cost them their life. I want to read to you something from one of our favorites, Leonard Ravenhill. And I want this to weigh on you about your life right now. I'm speaking to the men in this room who lack the confidence, who are filled with a fear that they don't have what it takes. I'm speaking to the women that want to stay within the confines of your comfort and maintain a way of life other than what God has destined. You have no right to either one of those. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus, and now you're being called to join that sacrifice. Raven Hill says, Paul never glamorized the gospel. It is not success, but sacrifice. It is not a glamorous gospel, but a bloody gospel. A gory gospel. And a sacrificial gospel. And here's the kicker from me that I want you to reflect on. Five minutes inside eternity and we will wish that we had sacrificed more, not less, more. What do you have left to give? What are you keeping in reserve from your king that when you're standing there in front of him, you don't have to be ashamed because you gave it all now? I said from the beginning, Jesus, I'm going to serve you and die trying. To the end of my life. But what am I holding on to that is resisting that very call and statement? Raven Hill goes on and he said he wished he had wept more. That he had bled more. That he had grieved more. Loved more. Prayed more. Given more. See this bloody gospel. This sacrificial gospel is one that always requires our death from the get go. We have to join in that sacrifice of all in order to gain the authority of all. It's death to our definition of success. It's death to our desire for comfort and prosperity and ease. It's the death of anything and everything that we might hold on to for ourselves. God put you here, church. He planted you in this place. You love and are inspired by the sacrifice of others. I'm saying, let today be a day of that changing. Don't just be inspired. Join us. Let's join our King in going higher and 
further and deeper into the sacrifice that he did because it's worth it when you're standing there at the bema seat of christ and you're given accounting for every ounce of your life we don't want you to be ashamed we want you to be proud proud that you gave it all and that's where we all want to be stand to your feet with us Can you see it yet, church? It's got to be more. It's got to be more than just what you get when you come in this room. It's got to be more. You have to have a heart that is set on what our mighty king's heart is set upon. And he speaks it to us clearly. One of my favorite quotes comes from Jackie Pullinger. Sold everything she had and went to the Hong Kong in the 60s, the 1960s. She has a phrase that says, The principle of the gospel is this. The gospel always brings life to the receiver and death to the giver. Life to the receiver, but always death to the giver. The Lord is doing something here and he's reminding us that his heart is for the nations. He will accomplish that through his nation, his inheritance, Israel itself. But our heart must be focused on the nations. And he even gave us a region to focus that heart upon. That us... Who are the ones that need to get sent next? Who are the ones that are coming behind the Stevens and the Ereginas and the Parsons? Coming behind the Treasters? Who are the ones who can say, I see it! I can see it! I know where God is going to send me. And I'll work every day giving my life to make sure that God gets that our great Messiah gets the obedience of the nations because they belong to Him. Can you see it? Because if you can, it's going to change everything about your life. It's going to change everything about your daily existence. Church, we're going to give you some very actionable steps right here. It's throughout the scripture. Can you see it? It's in the men who birthed this church. Can you see it? It's for all the patriarchs. Can you see it? It's for the men who in our time have given their lives. Can you see it? It's in the men who are in this room. You have to get an elevated perspective to see it. The three things that I'm going to share with you center around one word, ask. That's where we were in Psalm 2.8. The first one, ask the Lord to help clarify your call. 
Well, I, I see it just in general, but I'm not sure. And I'm trying to figure it out on my own, but I can't. Lord, I cry out to you. I ask you, Lord, help clarify my call. And how am I to contribute to this region of a swan? Secondly, ask the Lord to help you commit to that call. If you know exactly what your role is, you know your mezuzah, your family banner, you have a heart for a nation within that region, but you keep getting tripped up with certain distractions and other priorities. And it's just a circular issue over and over again. Now's the time to ask, Lord, help me become more devoted, more committed to what you've called me to. Greater than before. I think that's everybody in this room. And lastly, if you're walking, receiving that strengthening for commitment, I just need that refresher. Say, Lord, help me climb. Help me climb to that elevated position where you are seated on your throne. I need your heavenly perspective of this region and what we're supposed to do. Remind me again what you said in 2012. Remind me again what you said last week that spoke to my soul. I need it again today. Ask the Lord to help you with your call, with your commitment, and with your ability to climb. So as we pray, Cry out to the Lord. He's faithful. He'll give you what you need to help us accomplish this as a body. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for your strength and power that fill us. Lord, you have made this church the Aswan team. You've given us a map and territory of your target. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us the ability to grow and stretch into it. We ask, Lord, clarify our call help us in our commitment and help us climb to heavenly positions to see it in the name of Jesus, amen